When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. I hope you all had a nice and wonderful, if socially distanced, Thanksgiving. I certainly did, or I didn't. I don't know, because at the time of recording this, it is still October. Anyway, I am Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, my name is Sadie Carpenter, and I sail the ocean blue. I want to please my Lord above in everything I do. That's right. We are. Oh God! I, I, that. Mm. You'll see. Yeah, I, I will see. Like hearing, I seeing that written down is fine, but hearing that out loud, I'm just like, oh. Anyway, we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We are here to educate and inform our listeners about this cult and to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Today we're going to talk about uh, the IFB's answer to Mr. Rogers. This is someone whose work would be familiar to almost anyone who was ever a child in the IFB. Uh, and if if you were an IFB child, you already know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so before we get into all of that, I would just like to say to all of our listeners that the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully viewer-supported podcast. And we work hard to bring you not just one, but from now on, two episodes every week. So if you enjoy this content, you can subscribe to our Patreon, where we will have bonus content, including show outtakes, and soon exclusive video content. I know we've been teasing that for a while, but at some point we're actually going to put that up. Um, and if you don't want to join the Patreon for whatever reason, maybe you can't swing it financially, um, you can support us in other ways, like recommending this podcast to your friends, your family, your coworkers. We are trying to grow our audience and raise awareness about the real and present danger that the IFB and other cult groups present to society as a whole. And the third thing that you can do to help us out, uh, maybe if you like other podcasts, you can listen to other podcasts, interview podcasts, suggest to those hosts, write them an email, send them an, a, a DM on Twitter, on Instagram, a comment saying you should get the 
the hosts from the Leaving Eden podcast to come on your show because they're interesting. Um, just help us get the word out any way that you can, and every little thing helps. And also, you know, if you like our show and, you know, maybe you want to have some more in-depth discussions about what's going on here, then you can head on over to our Facebook group. That's called Eden Exodus, and you can find it on Facebook. Uh, and we're just going to have general discussion there. You want to talk about Christmas? Christmas special? Yes. Okay. So before we like before we get into today's episode, we have a special and exciting announcement. Is that three weeks from? Yeah, I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yeah. So three weeks from today, we are coming out with our very own Christmas special. And that is going to be out on Tuesday, December 22nd. And we are just thrilled to be putting it out because, you know, we've been hashing out ideas for it um, at the time of recording, you know, because we haven't recorded it yet. Um, But we're we're like talking about ideas for what we want to do. And some of these ideas that we have are really good. We're going to do music. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be like the Christmas cantata. If you if you were if you were raised IFB, this is going to be like that. Um, except for you don't have to like sit and hear the choir sing for an hour, and you definitely don't have to wear a little velvet dress with the itchy tool under it to make it poofy, and the little white ruffled socks. Unless you really really want to wear a velvet dress and little white ruffle socks. What is the Christmas cantata? I I am not familiar with that. Oh. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to explain that to you in three weeks. Okay, I'm then. I'm excited for that. I'm going to make you wait for that, for that yeah. one. So um, instead of hearing the choir sing, you will hear us sing. And actually, the music that we're going to do for that, the music that we're going to have for that, we're uh, going to release separately and beforehand. So um, you can put it on your uh, uh, Christmas playlist on Spotify, whatever streaming you have. So throughout the season, maybe you want to put it on when you're decorating your tree or whatever. Uh, we're we're going to have some Christmas songs. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, they might be out by now because we're going to be into December. So we might have already put the, put them out. Um, and if so, if you've been following us, then you can listen to our Christmas songs and stream our Christmas songs. And uh, if they're out, then we've made them and we're proud of them. <laughs> this is, I feel like this is going to be so nuts yeah. because like, I have so much going on. We do in the next in the next few weeks. I'm like, okay, I hope I can get this all done. We, yeah, so we don't know what songs we're gonna do, but they're gonna be out by the time you hear this, unless they're not. No at idea. which point? At which point? If if they're not out by the time that you hear this, then I'm just gonna chop this part out of the episode, and you're not gonna hear about it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I am excited to do a Christmas special, and and I do think that we're gonna put together something pretty fun. Yeah, of course, before Christmas. At least this year, because sometimes it's not before Christmas, is Hanukkah, which um, I think this year it starts the 11th. And one of my favorite Hanukkah traditions is listening to the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song, where he lists all of the famous people who are Jewish and then he keeps doing updated versions of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the updated versions. You don't? No, like I love the Hanukkah song, but I didn't know that there were like other versions of it. Yeah. Like so, I think there's the first one, and then there are three more. And um, one of them he did on Saturday uh, Saturday Night Live, and he got Rob Schneider to do it with him. Um, but you know, like the fact that he keeps making new versions of the song, like it gives me a little bit of hope that one day I may be named in the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. I think that the Saturday Night Live version is the one that I know. 
Uh, but who would you be joining if you got added to the song well, one day? As as the the opening line to the first one is that uh, David Lee Roth lights the menorah. So David Lee Roth from Van Halen, um, Lenny Kravitz, uh, my first ever crush, Natalie Portman, um, Getty Lee, the bass player from Rush and the singer from Rush, a uh, great guy, great musician, and of course Jesus. But of course. I will say that um, there is somebody whose omission from the Hanukkah song was the one thing that sadly let me know that he was not Jewish. And I am, of course, talking about Weird Al. I thought for years that Weird Al was Jewish, but I found out that he is, in fact, Christian. And I was deeply disappointed on uh, upon hearing this. Um, it was like earth shattering. OK, I'm sorry. Weird Al isn't Jewish. That is literally the first that I'm hearing of this. I know. <laughs> and I mean, the fact that I feel like the fact that Weird Al isn't Jewish, that fact is anti-Semitic. So he's not Jewish and he's also team Jesus. Apparently very much so. Yeah. So that wow. he, yeah, he abstains from pretty much all vices. So like you hear that kids like, and you think that you need to drink and do drugs to be funny. Well, you don't. And Weird Al is is proof of that. Weird Al is one of the funniest men alive, and and he doesn't do any of that. Okay, that kind of makes sense though, because in this is my hot take for the, take. the first third go. of this episode. In my opinion, the funniest people and the most creative people either do very little by way of substances and vices. Um, the first person that came to mind for me was Kristen Bell. Love her. Yeah, and she's like almost she she does like a tiny bit of cannabis but her husband is is like long-term recovery so she doesn't drink to support her husband yeah um well that's nice it is very their their relationship is really wholesome they're very honest dax, dax shepherd he's a he's a, a a great he's got a good podcast really you haven't heard it's called um I think it's called like armchair experts oh I have heard of it I haven't heard the podcast but it's it's very good it Dax Shepard, if you listen to this podcast, you should get us on. That would be amazing for us. Um, and I listen to your podcast from time to time when you interview somebody who I find interesting. And I think that you're pretty good at it. So, I mean, I just love Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell in general because they're very honest about parenting and relationships. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's really cool. But yeah, and I mean, it's nice to see people who are famous and not like totally heads up their butts about it. Right. But but what I was saying about Kristen Bell is like people who are the most funny and the most creative, a lot of times it's the people who do the least substances or the people who do all the substances. Rest in peace to Chris Farley. Also to John Belushi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you, though, like Weird Al, um, you're talking about Weird Al. Weird Al is probably one of the most influential musicians in my life. And I say that like completely unironically. No joke. I mean, I'm not even gonna gonna tease you about that because I absolutely love Weird Al. I mean, I even listened to him before I left the IFB. Oh man! Okay, so we were listening to some of the same music at the same time. Oh my god, we finally found it! Yes, the music that we have in common at the same point in time. Yes. Okay, favorite. I'm so like, excited. Okay, do do your favorite like two or three Weird Al songs. Okay. Yeah. So, um. I don't know if this is true for a lot of people, but at least it was for me that 
when I was younger, when I was in elementary school, when I was in middle school, I thought that a lot of pop music was terrible, um, with some exceptions, of course. But uh, and so, like a lot of artists, a lot of like classic pop artists who I just like didn't listen to because I'm like, oh, that's pop. I don't like it. Like I rock and roll forever. Like. But like I was introduced to their music because Weird Al did a parody of their song or did their song in one of his polka uh, medley mashups that he does. Okay, so that's actually the same for me because I heard Like a Surgeon long before I ever heard Madonna. Oh, yeah, I heard Eat It before I had ever heard anything actually by Michael Jackson. Yes. Yeah. So like, cause when I was a kid, yeah. Cause in my house, we listened to a lot of like classic rock, rock and roll, like stuff from the sixties, stuff from the seventies. Um, and cause my parents were in grad school and medical school in the eighties, they just, they didn't have time to consume pop culture. So like all of my knowledge of what was going on in the eighties was just like blank and like whatever I gleaned from other places. So like a lot of stuff that was big in the eighties, I just didn't know, but I knew like the weird, yeah. Like, so the Madonna is a perfect example, but my brother, when I was a kid, my older brother had a DVD that had a bunch of the weird Al music videos on it. And we would watch that all the time. Oh, that so sounds you, fun. Yeah. So have you seen the video for like a surgeon? Only weird Al's like, parody of like a virgin by Madonna. Yeah. Like a yeah. hundred times. And it was brilliant too, wasn't it? Was. It? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, okay. So how do like so? I'll why don't I say like one of my favorites, and then you say one of your favorites? Okay. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as you know, in middle school, I was the biggest Star Wars nerd in the world. So I think one of my favorite Weird Al songs was "The Saga Begins," which is a parody of "American Pie" by Don McLean. But the song was about the plot of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. See, I still don't think I know enough about Star Wars to make that one fun for me. But I think, okay, so I'll do mine, though. I think the one that I've heard more than any other Weird Al song would be White and Nerdy. Yes! Yeah, that was one that I was going to say because it was everywhere when I was in eighth grade. Like, it was bigger than, the, the, than Ride and Dirty, which is a song that it was based on. Okay, so there is no way I will ever do it on air um, until we get a thousand Patreon subscribers. Uh, but there was definitely a time when I had the whole thing memorized. A thousand Patreon subscribers. I'll do it right now. Y'all got Class Spirit, MIT, God Skills, I'm a Champion, at D&D, MC, Yesha, that's my favorite MC. Keep it 40, y'all just have an... Yeah. Um, yeah. I know all job. of it. I still have the whole thing memorized. I um, love that song. Um, also, if any of our listeners speak ASL, American Sign Language... Uh, or other sign language dialects. Uh, I use that song for speed practice when I because I I Ooh. speak ASL and I used to interpret and I would you know be interested in doing that again one day. So I try to keep my my skills up so I can at least speak to deaf people that I encounter. How but, wholesome! Yeah, so I like you know it's great for finger spelling or or interpreting speed practice because that one's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love weird. But Al. I know all the words. So. Yeah. Hamilton also helps. Okay. Yeah. I guess a lot of rap music would be pretty good at that. Right. But I need to know it to be able to go that quickly in another language. Right. I need to have it like at least like 80 to 90% memorized. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think it's funny though that you got to listen to Weird Al, but you couldn't listen to the music that Weird Al was based on. 
I mean, I think it was that, like, in Weird Al songs, it still has the same beat as the original, but the lyrics are very PG or G-rated. I mean, what, okay, what parent wouldn't rather their child listen to word crimes instead of blurred lines? Yeah. Also, fuck that song. Yeah, I, and the video, that was really, mm, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, oh man, but like, I mean, there, that's a, like a late era Weird Al jam. If I was going to like go for like an inappropriate song where the Weird Al version is clean, I'd go for like Red Hot Chili Peppers parody where he makes the song Give It Away to be all about the Flintstones. See, I know that the the word crimes is like a later Weird Al, not an early Weird Al. Is, yeah, this is going to be like a Simpsons thing where people are like, oh, only the Weird Al from between 1980 whatever and... 2002 is the stuff you want to yeah. get. See, I feel like people that I've talked to have preferred earlier ones of his videos and earlier songs of his to newer ones. Personally, though, I thought Word Crimes was really funny and Tacky is probably my second favorite. Yeah. Like it's it's so creative and like the the music video for Tacky. Uh it's a one-take music video. And it's it's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know what my okay. You know what my take is on this. I think that his music hasn't gotten any worse, and he hasn't gotten any less creative. I just think that people's tastes and sense of humor have changed. I mean, I can agree with that. I just I don't believe that a bad Weird Al song exists. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I don't. In my opinion, there's a few that are like marginal at best. But like, I feel th- like. I, I don't know. I guess we think of Weird Al songs as like something for kids or like something for teenagers, you know, because it's comedy music. But like, I guess if like, so say you were really hardcore IFB um, and Weird Al is off the table because it's got the beats on the two and four and it's a pair. It's going to make you want to listen to pop music. Yeah. And also, um, you know, make you possessed because of yeah. the, the drum beats. Yeah. Yeah. So. Weird Al is off the table. What are you listening to if it's like, you know, music for young people? So there are some IFB people that would let their kids listen to the uh, the Focus on the Family Kids radio show, Adventures in Odyssey. You probably haven't heard of that, huh? I have not heard of that. Yeah. Is it good? It's uh, It's as good as anything that comes out of Focus on the Family can be. And I do mean that in a semi-nice way. Uh, what's fo- wait, what's focus on the family? Are you kidding me? I don't oh know. my gosh. Is that like is, wait, is so is that like the lobbying group that like is like or like the media the people that are like, oh, you gotta like hardcore like conservative Christian type thing? So yeah, so focus on the on the family. It is a lobbying group. Uh it's Dr. James Dobson. Uh, who is, I believe, an honorary doctorate, but I need to fact check myself on that. Um, But uh, James Dobson is like, he's like a televangelist and like a famous preacher. Oh, okay. And Focus on the Family. Yeah, Focus on the Family is his lobbying group. But, uh, and they were like heavily, heavily involved in in the Reagan years. Uh, Oh, you know what? It's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. And and like, there's so, so much to say about him. There should probably be his own episode. But one big thing that they did is they had a media company and they would release not explicitly Christian material, movies, uh, radio shows, 
all sorts of things. Um, but they but they're not like super Christian, but they're 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 sneakily backhandedly Christian. It's like if, Fundy Light. Yeah, these are Focus on the Family is kind of the definition of Fundy Light. Uh, as far as media content goes. Anyway, one thing that they have. So like if you're a Christian, you won't find anything objectionable. But if you're just a conservative, then it's not going to be so aggressively Christian. Right. Um, if you're if your parents. So Adventures in Odyssey is a kid's show that they made. It was originally a radio show and then they ended up making a cartoon of it. Um, it it's OK. But if your no. parents were to IFB for Adventures in Odyssey and they wanted something with like Bible verses in it. You probably also couldn't get with VeggieTales because VeggieTales doesn't use the King James Version. So that's going to be – it's going to be a problem. Also, that reminds me. We need to put VeggieTales on the the dock. Yeah. I think that would be fun. Um, But there is good news. There is an IFB-specific children's radio series, and it is unbelievably popular with IFB children. So is it like those children's cartoons that are made by Hamas? I continually forget that those are real. I think it, I feel like it's like a fever dream. I don't even know when you showed those to me. Oh, I so okay, yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, um, Hamas, which is the um, terrorist organization that uh, is the de facto rulers of the Gaza Strip in uh, in Palestine, um, that is like a hardline Islamist group. Uh, they're like, they made like a, like children's television program. Like you can look it up, look up, um, Hamas children's cartoons. I think that there's like a, a John Stewart daily show episode where he goes on about those. That is what I saw. Yes. Yeah. Which is pretty like, I mean, they're, I mean, it's for me, like watching this stuff, like, I find it hilarious. It, I mean, it's it's like legitimately terrible and awful stuff that says like deeply hateful things about Jews and anybody who isn't like a, a, a like extremist, like a religious extremist. Um, but like they're also kind of like amazing. It's kind of hilarious to me, but also like terrible. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that's kind of your personality, though. Yeah, things that are hilarious but terrible. I mean, yeah, I do find I do find a lot of this stuff funny, especially when it's just like really evil stuff. But I can just kind of laugh at it because I guess that's kind of how I process it. But you know, that's okay. Right. I mean, it, you do that. You do that with like evil and like like anti-Semitic stuff. Uh, I do that with death. Like yeah, de- I mean, death you send me something that somebody says that's like super anti-Semitic, and I'll just like laugh so hard and, at it. Right. So, like, well, I mean, that's how you process like this thing that has been a part of your life, and yeah. like death and dying has been a, pr- a fairly big part of my life. Um, we're actually, you know, we're actually like almost right on the anniversary of one of my grandparents dying. It's tomorrow, oh. it's today. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, so like, I think death has been a big part of my life, and that's how I cope with it. Is like this, like death and morbid content. I I process that the same way that you do. Yeah, Hamas children's cartoons. Hamas children's—they're terrible, but they're so, hilarious. So, like just how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, Patch the Pirate is not perfect, as we are going to get into here. I would rank this as significantly less terrifying than the Hamas children's cartoons. So that's good. <laughs> 
That's the guy that we're talking about. This guy named Patch the Pirate. Patch the Pirate. Yeah. Yeah. So Patch is the creation of a man named Ron Hamilton and his wife, Shelly. And Shelly's dad is, um, is Frank Garlock. And I know that none of these names mean anything to you or to 80% of our listeners. But uh, think back through our episodes. I've mentioned a couple times about the different camps within the IFB and how people typically group up based on what Bible college their pastor went to. And then like what college your pastor attended could dictate a lot of like the little traditions that your church has. So Frank Garlock and his business, Majesty Music, are and were involved with Bob Jones University. So Bob Jones, which goes by the slightly unfortunate abbreviation BJU, BJ. uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I think I'm the only person who finds that funny, and that makes me feel very immature. It's because fundies aren't allowed to make jokes about that. Well, so, I, I don't know if they know what that is. <laughs> but I'm uh, sure they know. I don't know. I'm not convinced. Anyway. David Hiles knows. David Hiles is different. Uh, I wonder if maybe by the time this episode comes out, David Hiles is in jail. Hashtag arrest David Ooh, Hiles. That just that gave me warm and fuzzy Christmas season feelings. Hashtag arrest David Hiles. We oh, should yeah. make a Christmas carol called hashtag arrest. <laughs> it. It's like when you're wondering what to do for the holiday. <laughs> Hashtag arrest David Hiles. <laughs> I was going to do like to the tune of we wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, Hashtag arrest. Ar- yeah. <laughs> I was going to do arrest David Hiles, arrest David Hiles, but you know, however you want to do it. Arrest David Hiles because he killed a kid. Allegedly. <laughs> I have to put allegedly because oh, otherwise dear. we could be sued for libel possibly. Can but we please put that in our, in our Christmas cantata episode? Yeah. So if you're listening to it, uh, we're going to have a Christmas song called Arrest David Hiles. Anyway. Um, I guess. I, I, I guess. <laughs> Bob Jones University. BJU. Yes. Um. So it's an IFB college that was associated with Hiles Anderson early, early, early in the beginnings of Hiles Anderson College, like the early 70s. Um, but as as Jack Hiles started to split from other IFB and other fundamentalist pastors over issues like King James onlyism and like no pants, women shouldn't wear pants. And like as Hiles became more strict and more separated, these people started to fall away and he started to split from these people. And Bob Jones and Bob Jones University is one of those pastors and colleges that Jack Hiles split away from. Yeah. So now people in the Hiles Anderson camp definitely look down on Bob Jones as super liberal because they let women wear jeans on campus. And I think they let their their students hold hands before they're married and like go to see G-rated movies in theaters. So the only other thing that you need to know so about that's Bob- who that's who went to see Toy Story four. Bob, yes, Bob Jones. Bob students. Jones University students. They probably liked it too because they aren't allowed to see good movies. So the only other thing, though, that you have to know about Bob Jones right now is that they are known for their focus on music. So especially choral and classical styles. Uh, people that, that went to Bob Jones, people that graduated from their music program are more well-versed in classical music, and they prefer more formal church music. 
Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that I think it's funny how all these different IFB schools have like their feuds over who is too liberal. And like when normal people like myself look at them, I'm just like, these guys are all way off the deep end. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard the the old joke, but the, the gist of it is like Georgia calls Alabama rednecks and then Alabama calls Louisiana rednecks and Louisiana calls Mississippi rednecks. It's like that. Like it just like it just goes west. Oh, okay. Wait, so um, is um is Louisiana more so Louisiana is more redneck than Alabama, but not as redneck as Mississippi, apparently. Um yeah, according to the the kind of It's debatable. Yeah, it's debatable. It depends it depends on what part of what state you're in. I don't suppose you've you've probably never been there. I know never I've never been to the been... south at all. I've been to the Atlanta airport when I was flying to uh, Fort Myers to see my grandma. Wow. Okay. See, that's that's just that's just crazy to me. I've driven and been all over the the American South, especially the Deep South. I've been to Texas. I've been to Dallas, Texas. I'm sorry, Texas is not the South. Texas oh is, man, Texas, I'm going to get shot thing. by a yeah. Texan. <laughs> Texas is Texas is I, Texas is, is uh, how about if we uh, make it up and say Texas used to be its own country? You know, yeah, no, no, it did. Texas, yeah, Texas is cool. Texas used to be its own country, and now the, all the Texans who are listening are going to be like, "Yeah, I'm glad they said that. It's true." No, Texas um, is super cool. The last real trip that I got to go on before COVID uh, was going. I, w- I was in Houston for a couple days, uh, and it was it was great. It really yeah. was like it, uh, Texas is awesome. It's just not the South. Um, okay. It's its own thing. So anyway. It's a bit Southwest too. Like parts of yeah. it, parts of it are, well, it depends on which part you're in. I feel like the Eastern part of Texas, you could call it the South, but like West Texas is definitely like not the same as the East part of West Texas is like Southwest. Yeah. You know, it's very much like, like cowboy stuff. Yeah. But anyway, just like just like all these southern states are like, oh no, we're not the we're not the rednecks, we're not the the stupid, you know, stupid hillbillies. It's those people in that other state over there. Yeah, it's like that Who with does like Mississippi call rednecks. The uh, their cousins, I don't know <laughs> at their weddings, <laughs> dude. I, I I don't know. Like like the South is is obviously, I mean that's that's my home. That's my part of the country. And it's it's certainly there's more down there than people flying the Confederate flag and and the incest jokes. Um, I'm glad that you've said that because I you are one of the only people from Alabama that I've ever met, and you are a, a kind and lovely person. So that the is, South is, is a beautiful yeah. and vibrant place, and there are all sorts of people who live there. There really are. Unfortunately, stereotyping is what we do on this show a lot of times. So I I will make fun of you, but just know that I don't hate you and I don't harbor any hate in my heart for you. Yeah, you know what? Is is it your heritage to make fun of me? Is it heritage not hate? It is my heritage to make fun of <laughs> like that's what we do. Anyway. Um no, so it's it's like that though. Like all these different colleges are like, "No, I'm not liberal. You're liberal." I think it's funny, though, that like the lowest insult that you can say to somebody is that they're a liberal. I mean, there's so there's like there's other phrases that you throw in there, too, like yellow belly or lily liver or lace on your underwear. That not your underwear. not kidding. Real things that IFB preachers say to each other if they think each other are liberal. Anyway, 
Ron and Shelly Hamilton. Just like a giant dick uh, measuring contest for who can be the most like out there. Right, and they don't use profanity. So it's it's who can insult each other and like throw these like theological roadblock blocks verbally and at each other. In like the the language gets very creative. Yeah. Anyway, Ron and Shelly Hamilton. They were a young married couple working in this Majesty Music business, her dad's business, and they were composing songs for Bob Jones University and for other IFB ministries, and they were kind of making a nice little living for themselves, selling the music that they'd written and selling sheet music um, when Ron found out that he had cancer in his eye. And it was very quick moving, and they didn't know how to save him except for to have his eye removed. Ugh. So... Yeah, I mean, really unfortunate, and he could have died. It's a horrible thing to have happen to somebody. Right, and it wasn't like he had warning. It was like he went in one day because his vision was blurry, and then three days later, he walked out without his eye. Wow. So it was definitely a traumatic event for him. Um, And he wore an eye patch during... Well, at least, you know, at least they took care of it. Right, so like yeah. he, he was able to... Yeah, Um, if he had been... If he had been other camps of IFB that avoid doctors, he wouldn't have lived. But anyway. Well, at least, if, you know, thank God. he. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good that he survived uh, because he yeah. and his wife had like three or four young children at the time. Oh, yeah. oh man, that would be awful. Uh, and when he went back to church, he was wearing an eye patch because he was in recovery from that surgery. And the little kids at church kept asking him if he was a pirate. Because he was wearing the eye patch and he didn't want to frighten them, you know. But he, so he said, "Yeah, I'm a pirate." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, like if I were going to lose an eye, though, I'd probably rock an eye patch instead of like a glass eye too. I mean, it does look pretty cool, objectively. Mad eye moody it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, you know what? No, maybe you know what I'd do. I'd go with a glass eye, but I'd like have different colors, like to go with different outfits. And then I could have one, like, if I wanted to look totally crazy, I'd just have one that was, like, 100% black. So, like, my, like, I'd just look at somebody who would just be, like, a, a ball of, 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 like, blackness. That sounds great. Be like, yeah. It'd be super I mean, metal. It would be. And while we're on that topic, I would like to state for the record that it is one of the great disappointments of my life that colored contacts are not particularly safe for everyday wear. Yeah. I mean, I did the 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 filter on Instagram where it changes your eye color, and it, I looked incredible with blue eyes. But um, I also think that my eyes now are just fine, and they're very pretty, and I don't need to change them. So right, like I mean, I I'm happy with the eye color that I have. Uh, however, I think it would be cool because I do like unnatural hair colors. Yeah, I would like to have like blue hair and purple eyes. You could do blue hair and blue eyes. You know, you could just change your eye color to match your that's hair. That's like be cool. that's the motivation beyond me, behind me wanting weird eye colors is because like I want weird hair colors, and I want to do I... that anyway. Uh, Ron and Shelley wanted to make an album of Christian children's songs, and they came up with the idea of incorporating like their own small children. And then other church members into a radio drama because they thought maybe the kids would pay more attention. Right. Like they thought it would be more fun for kids if it was like a song and then like a little bit of a skit and like kind of had a loose plot to it. And they could have characters like Wally Whale and um, 
other fun characters that they could throw in there. So, uh, oh, 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 Ozzy Oyster, Uzi Oyster, and Ornery Oyster, whose voices I don't do as well, but are very fun. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so they, they make this radio drama, and the first Patch tape comes out in 1981, and it's called Sing Along with Patch the Pirate. And on the morning that they're supposed to record, Shelly woke up with laryngitis, and she could only speak in a very squeaky, squawky voice. So they improvised, and the character of Sissy Seagull was born. Obviously, the Lord blessed her with laryngitis and the creativity to overcome. She's wonderfantabulous, Captain Patch. Is that an imitation of the character's voice? Yeah, that's what that's what she sounds like, more or less. So, like, wonderfantabulous. I hate that. And phantasmagorical. And like, she uses uh, all these like little like adjectives. Very whimsical. That's, that's horrifying. But what? Oh, I love Sissy's voice. It's it. fun. I, I got, hate it. I got to be Sissy in a play, but we'll talk about that. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I've got to ask though, because this is clearly something that needs asking. Um, the elephant in the room right here is that how does <laughs> the seagull in the room? The seagull in the room, or the whale in the room? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the whale in the room. Um, how does piracy as a career? managed to align itself with conservative Christian values. Like, I feel like you can either be a pirate and like steal and, and raid people's ships and stuff, or you can be a Christian, but you can't be both. Okay. So as far as patch the pirate goes, there's no plundering, like no walking the plank or anything like that. How is he a pirate? Um, I mean, the Jolly Roger and captain patch and the crew just kind of sail around to dis- different destinations. Like they go to the jungle, they go to the old west, they go to space to learn about like Christian morals and IFB talking points. But like he's a pirate because he has an eye patch. Duh. But he's not. He's he's not even a pirate. He's just a Jesus freak on a boat with pirate aesthetics. He has an eye patch and also striped pants. But does his boat even have cannons on it? And does he have a sword? Okay, so my first reaction is to remember there being cannons, but I can't say for sure. It's also an audio, it's audio only, so it's harder. I don't remember them ever firing the cannons. And yes, he does have a sword. I'm glad you asked. There's actually a, a whole song about his sword and how it's a metaphor for the Bible. Okay. I mean, like, I'm just saying, though, like, there's a lot of rappers out there who say that they're drug dealers and they have songs about being drug dealers and they have guns and everything. They're like, show like off their guns on Instagram and all of their like, I got this money from drug dealing and stuff, but they don't actually sell drugs. Like you can have a sword and cannons, but if you don't actually go around murdering and raiding other people's boats and towns, like, are you really a pirate? I mean, maybe I'm just not qualified to define who is and who isn't a pirate. I mean, I don't know, but he calls himself a pirate, and there's been a new Patch the Pirate adventure released every year since 1981. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if you like what the definition of a pirate is, but they are absolutely the most ubiquitous children's entertainment within the IFB. I can tell you that for sure. So, isn't there a Christmas song though about being a pirate? I swear, there's a Christmas song about being okay. a pirate. Are you possibly talking about "I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In"? No, I know that one. I had to do that one in choir. No, this one is. Um, here we go, a pillaging and something. <laughs> oh, it's here we go, a pillaging upon the sea. So great, right? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, 
come. It's it's here we come a wassailing. Wassailing it, it means singing and asking for booze. Like wassail is it's a type of ale or something. I don't know. But it's it's basically like you're going house to house and you sing Christmas carols and then your friends give you some booze and that like holds you over till you get to the next house where you knock on the door and sing some Christmas carols and ask for booze. Well, that doesn't sound like it's very IFB appropriate. Um, yeah, in the IFB, that song gets changed to Here We Come a Caroling. Oh, dude, Even we though nobody it? knows what wassailing means? D- no. Uh, listen, for the Christmas special, uh, we have to talk about IFB changing the words to Christmas songs. Anyway, so yeah, so this whole wassailing thing, it's it's more pirate-like than Patch, <laughs> really. But it's not yeah, technically piracy. Drinking. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the the popularity of this though, it become it comes up because of the second recording, which is Patch the Pirate Goes to Space. And in that particular patch adventure, we get some absolutely classic songs like Pigs Don't Live in Houses, which is a song about tidiness and clearing your room. Uh, we also hear Sharing, which is a cute little ditty about sharing, sharing. That's what Christians do, which I, I think that's nice. Yeah. Like so that's that's a nice sentiment. You know what? That's a good sentiment for for anybody. It's not just what Christians do, it's it's what uh everybody should be doing. Yeah. It's nice. Uh we do also get the first taste of like blatant evangelism in Patch the Pirate Goes to Space. Wait, because Pee-wee Pirate, who is the youngest of the pirate crew, also Ron Hamilton's youngest child, um prays and asks Jesus to save him as part of the script of this show. Uh, And I've talked before about children in the IFB getting saved at a very young age. This is one example of like children's media showing like a very, very small child saying this prayer and saying that he is afraid of going to hell. I feel like they should be afraid of scurvy instead of afraid of going to hell. But I mean, off the top of my head, I I mean, I can't say that I remember any mention of orange juice on board the Jolly Roger. And of course, there isn't any gin and tonic with lime either. So not even for like medicinal purposes. I mean, either there is a massive store of vitamin C tablets below tech or they're just going to pray the scurvy away. (laughs) But (laughs) as we get past the first few patch adventures, uh, we can start to see some of like the, the more problematic parts of Patch the Pirate showing through. I mean, like convincing children that they should be deathly afraid of going to hell at an extremely young age. I mean, I, how old? Is, so, how old is Pee Wee Pirate? Four or five? It sounds about four or five in the recording. Yeah. Yeah, like getting four and five year old kids to be like deathly afraid of going to hell sounds like par for the course for the IFB, and is almost entirely unsurprising to me. So you based actually, on what you've told me. you did just stumble on one of the big things I wanted to talk about. Um, Patch the Pirate consistently harps on themes about worry or questioning or fear and how those things are sinful. Um, A lot of Patch songs seem to be about these topics. So there's How Can I Fear, which is a really sweet ballad in general, but implies that if a child is afraid of the dark, that it's because they don't believe that Jesus is watching over them. Uh, there's also the praise song, which is uh, another of their better written melodies, in my opinion. Uh, it's from the the adventure Kidnapped on Island. And this song is kind of a Tinkerbell effect. Like when it's sung, the dark prison that they're captured in, uh, the, it fills with light. Uh, and then there's also the Worry Warthog song, 
which tells children that they will turn into a ugly, wart-covered warthog if they give in to worry instead of trusting God. What? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fun song. But also, uh, like, there are a lot of children that weird. I knew that were actually literally afraid that if they worried too much, their face would break out in warts. So maybe a smidge too literal. And then, like, there's there's more, like, there's there's keep your sunny side up and there's the poochy lip disease. So let me guess. The poochy lip disease is about how if you don't smile all the time, then God will think that you disapprove of his creation and send you to hell for ungratefulness. I mean, not send you to hell, but... That it, but yeah, but that it's ungrateful to God for His blessings if you don't smile all the time. So it, it's it's toxic positivity culture for four year olds. So this is basically the same thing that you like, because you would have positivity contests with your mother, like you said um, before. That like, even in times where your family didn't have enough food to put on the table because you're giving everything to church, like you and your mother could like never say a bad thing or weren't allowed to feel upset about anything. Like it's that same sort of like emotion control thing. Yeah. Emotion control is a huge theme of patch the pirate. I mean, one of the best known songs that people outside the IFB talk about the most, I think is the song wiggle worm. Uh, It's all about how, how like the devil wants you to squirm in church instead of sitting perfectly still because he wants you and other people to be distracted from church. What the hell? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a song about sitting perfectly still in church. I mean, that's so insidious, though. Like making children's music to teach kids that they're not allowed to be kids. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> So Sadie has, um, she's just sent me a link to this song, but the song basically it's like, it sounds like a rinky dink $49 Casio keyboard demo. Um, like, you know, the demo track on the keyboard, when you push the play button by accident, when you're trying to get the sound that you like, but you accidentally push the play button and it goes dang, 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 dang. But without drums in it at all. Yeah. No drums, but it's got that like, so, and then it's got this children's choir singing about how you need to sit perfectly still in church and in school it's so weird and like i mean it's so sorry because it's like both juvenile and it's also like really insidious i don't know i find this song really creepy <laughs> yeah with the weird That's a little like, theme to it <laughs> so that was like one of my favorite songs growing up <laughs> that was your favorite i mean that was one of my favorites that I, song does not slap one bit we sang it in church all the time Anyway, I think like that is what makes Patch a good topic for us to discuss because there are dozens of like beautiful, harmless hymns and religious songs that have been done by Patch the Pirate or by Majesty Music under Ron Hamilton. So much of it is completely non-harmful and like somewhat decent music. Although, I mean, you'd probably hate it because I know you are not a musical theater person and it's a good deal of it that has like that musical theater sound. Mm. But you get like these really adorable, like the sharing song. There's one about being thankful for whatever your mom makes for dinner. I mean, okay, so yeah, it's a little bit sexist to assume that the mother is the parent making dinner, but this was the early 80s when it came out. So yeah. that's expected. I mean, and like that's it's a perfectly cute song. 
I mean, but there are also songs that sneak up on you with these really scary religious views, uh, like the idea that being afraid is a sin, uh, is like a lapse in faith, and that even a child should be expected to participate in positivity culture. Yeah, so like... And also that it's appropriate for a four-year-old to sit completely still with no entertainment and not move during a two-hour church service. Yeah. I mean, so maybe I want to take a deeper dive into some of this really weird religious stuff. So like... Why don't you give us like another example of one that you think is like especially problematic and I don't know, maybe one that covers like a religious topic that we haven't talked about here on this episode. Um, so like it's not to do with sitting still or like talk to positivity or being afraid. Okay. So if you check out the song called Here Am I, Lord. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and, and I think this might be like a mini callback to the Hiles Anderson Tour Group homework episode. It has the same concept as a couple of those songs. Because it's about asking God to use you and expressing that you've given your entire life to God, including your dreams and desires and whatnot. Uh, but now we get the experience of hearing all of that uh, in a child's voice. Yeah, so I've listened to this song now, and the main refrain of the song goes, Here I am, Lord, send me. And it's about going on a mission to like convert people to be a missionary, and like specifically like references like the mission field. But like Sadie said, this song is sung by a child, like not like a teenager, but like a literal like child who's gotta be younger than 10, like when this is recorded. Like with that pure like straight no vibrato like child singer voice like it's sounding absolutely like juvenile like and singing about volunteering to go on a mission for jesus and for god and i i do want to ask you to think back to the the second episode that we did where we talked about missions as being presented to us as dangerous like something that you might very well die doing This literal elementary school child is volunteering to be a missionary, and they're absolutely making that statement of of volunteering with the idea that they might lose their life trying to bring people to Jesus. And it's not like I have a problem with an adult having those kind of sentiments. Like, that's not really my thing, but adults can... I have a problem with that, but... See, I don't. Like, adults can have informed consent for that sort of thing. Like, adults can choose that kind of lifestyle. Like, the the idea of, like, oh, I'm going to do this thing and I might die doing it. I don't know. I don't approve of that lifestyle. Oh, oh, this mission specifically, you mean? Yeah. I mean, if you, you like, go out to say, oh, I'm going to, to make it my life's work to try to bring more people to Jesus and be a missionary and go all over the world and try to bring people to Jesus, I, no. Okay, but the idea of, like... But the the concept before that, the concept of like, I'm going to do this thing and I might die trying. That is like, there there are people that can have informed consent to that. Like, don't you have to be like 18 or have your parents permission to jump out of an airplane, like to go skydiving? I've never been skydiving. Uh, me either. Never would. Would you? 
I don't know if I would. I, I, mean, I would never, ever. Sorry. I, I know that's a rabbit trail. I wouldn't. I never, ever, ever intend to go skydiving. That sounds like the worst thing. My dreaming life is to drive a Formula One car. Just at one point get to drive like a Formula One car. Like at one. And I mean, I guess that could be seen as being dangerous because those cars are so ludicrously powerful and they're so fast. Okay. But that's um, something you could yeah. give informed consent for. Is what I'm yeah. saying. Like, because you're an uh, adult. It's like going on, a, like driving at all. You know, you have to be old enough to. Right. To and you wouldn't let, like, to... okay, so may, there are probably 16 year olds that are mature enough, maybe, to, to get to drive that car. Yeah. There might be, once in 100 years, a 14 year old who's like mature enough and skilled enough to drive that car. Well, Max Verstappen. Um, I knew you'd was, name somebody. <laughs> yeah, he he is the youngest ever Formula One driver, and he got to he started driving in Formula One when he was seventeen. Right, but like, and after him, they're like, "No, you got to be eighteen to do this now." <laughs> but there's like an age where you can consent to do something that's dangerous like that, or that's like, yeah. to give your life to something, and there's an age where you can't. That's what I'm saying. Like it. It breaks my heart to think of a child thinking that it is their responsibility to literally and spiritually save the world. Like that's a heavy burden on a child. Yeah, and also like I remember in the recent there was a recent episode where we talked about this idea um of team missions. I think it was one of the Jack Scop episodes. The well, idea where Scop one, I think. Yeah, sending people to dangerous places where it is literally illegal to be a missionary. Like countries like China where there's an authoritarian regime that have like outright banned converting to Christianity. So like se- like sending people to real danger. And like also the religious fever that like they work into you at like these young youth conferences asking you as a teenager to literally agree to sign your life away to go somewhere dangerous. I mean, this is introducing like that same concept to little children in the form of entertainment and glorifying this concept of like giving it all to God or surrendering to God with messaging that can get through to little three or four year old children who listen to these tapes. Okay. So like you remember the episode where I made you review Lil Wayne's Carter three. Yeah, sure. So did you ever listen to the kids bop version of lollipop by Lil Wayne that I told you about? I couldn't find it online. You know what? Like I'm okay with that. Cause I'm, I'm kind of okay with not having to hear that again. But like, if you listen to the song by like lollipop by Lil Wayne, it's not, um, an appropriate song for children. Oh, really? But I, yeah, I find it significantly less weird and grotesque for kids to be singing Lil Wayne than I find it for kids to be singing that they want to be a missionary at age like five or six or like eight or, you know, 10. I mean, there's an age where it's normal for a kid to commit to a career. Like some kids who are really serious about doing something that that takes years and years of work and training can definitely decide what they want to do and start working towards it by the time they start high school. So I'm thinking specifically like if you're trying to be like an Olympic gymnast or something. A gym right. Like a friend of friend of mine, friend of the family has a little girl who might be an Olympic gymnast one day. Um Ooh. she's super she's super, super good and she's been training since she was like literally three. And Best I think she's thirteen or fourteen this year. Wow. Right. So like that's okay. So that's a great example or a kid who wants to be an astronaut. Uh, like I follow uh, somebody on Instagram who wants to be an astronaut and has been actively pursuing that dream since she started high school. Um, some like specialized types of medical doctor, that might be something that you would commit to doing by the time you're 16 
and start med school by the time you turn 18, you know, start, start college and then go to med school. So it's not. But also like if you decide to be like a, a astronaut or something, then you're like, okay, I need to study this science, this science, this science, this science and get like really physically fit. But then if it turns out, oh, well, I guess I can't be an astronaut. Then you're like, okay, well, at least I can still be like a molecular biologist or a right. physicist or, or, you know, something like that. Cause I have these skills. Well, I mean, yeah. So, so I think it's, it's not always inappropriate for a child to start working towards a, a life dream, especially like once it, once it, once you're in high school uh, or about to start high school. What I do think that, that there is a point where this becomes a consent issue and I think that that it, it, there is definitely a consent problem with little children planning to be missionaries. I think there's a manipulation issue. Yeah, so it's fine if you're 16 and you want to be like a pop star, but like we're not going to Jackson 5 this. My issues with the actual content of Patch the Pirate, there are some moments with like what would now be seen as racism or cultural appropriation. But when I say that, think along the lines of like the character Apu on The Simpsons. It's the kind of thing that wouldn't be okay today, but wouldn't have rung any alarm bells in the 80s when this was started. Yeah. So it's like, like, is it the kind of thing that needs like, you know, an official apology and to change? Sure. Of course. Like, just like Apu. But it's not any worse than that. Um, My actual issues with the content, like, I think that's all pretty predictable when you hear IFB Kids Radio Show. I do want to talk about something possibly more interesting though hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Gabrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden Podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. Okay. There are a few specific songs that just might be plagiarized. So some of the songs aren't original. Oh, no, Captain Patch. (laughs) Doing that voice. I'm just. mm. I'm going to. uh, So next time we have a business meeting, I'm going to do it completely in Sissy Siegel voice. 
if you do that, <laughs> then I'm going to I I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm Oh man. <laughs> You're gonna have me Why committed. are we equal partners in this business? <laughs> have me I'm committed gonna... and take my half of the business. Yeah. Um anyway. I'm gonna get power of attorney. <laughs> um so anyway, the songs I wanna bring up, they're they're on a little bit of a spectrum between unoriginal and clearly inspired by this particular worldly song and straight up plagiarized. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to give you some options to let you look at them. Um I will also it would be neat if we could put some of these on the air but I have to look up fair use. Yeah. So um leave this in if we're able to and cut it out if we're not. Cool. Okay. All right. So the first one that we're doing is Rejoice! So the the patch song is called "Rejoice in the Lord," and this is a song that he wrote about like the experience of losing his eye, and and like how he learned from that. And wow, that sounds powerful. It's it's his like keynote song. It's like his his thing. You know, it's the it's like his it's his closer every time yeah. he does a show. Rejoice in the Lord. And then the song that we're comparing it to is called Today, and it's by the new Christy Minstrels, and it came out in 1964. Today, while the blossoms still cling to the vine, I'll taste your strawberries, I'll drink your sweet wine. So the the specific similarity that I'm looking at, um, this aligns rejoice in the Lord, he makes mistake he makes no mistakes for when I am tried and purified, that line. And then the line in today, it's today while the blossoms still cling to the vine, and then a million tomorrows will all pass away. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you thought that those were so, so similar. Uh, but I, I do have some much more obvious ripoffs to share. Okay, so those are suspiciously similar to me, but it's not impossible to me that they're both in original. Okay. You see? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. So I wanted you to check out. That was like a warm up. <laughs> uh, so check okay. out these two. So the song, the patch song is The Ballad of Big Toe which is from the patch adventure Mr. Slippy River Race. Oh, he's ugly and he's meaner than a thousand snakes. When his name is just a whisper, everybody shakes. Oh, the bad toe. And then the song that we're comparing it to is Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean. Broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. And everybody knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Big John. Big John. Big bad John. Okay, so after having listened to both of these, like, this is extremely blatant. And I would just like to, like, unimagined, like, I'm feeling some sympathy for the unimaginable pain of the parents who have to listen to this music because their children have no other children's music that they're allowed to listen to. (laughs) Like children's music doesn't have to be terrible. It can be okay, but this is like, I I don't know. Like, I mean, it's clear, like it's, it's clearly plagiarism, but like, 
I mean, I don't like whoever owns the rights of Big John. I would definitely be filing a lawsuit with Patch the Pirate over this. Oh, I wanted I wanted to tell you as far as feeling bad for the parents who have to listen to this music with their children. Yeah, there was one other IFB children's album that was not Patch that was considerably worse. But that album is getting its own episode. So this is like for me, this is like if you're a parent and you have to listen to Baby Shark. Yeah. Like a thousand <laughs> times. Like to me, I'm like, this is worse than that. Well, there's a children there's there is one standalone IFB children's album that is so much worse than worse than Patch. And uh we're gonna discuss it at some point. There's a Dave Hiles connection. And I, I I'm not even gonna tell you any more than that, but it's awesome. Okay, so I have one more song comparison for you. Okay, tell me. So the Patch song is I'm Thankful to Be an American, uh, which is from the Patch Adventure, uh, The Great American Time Machine. I'm thankful to be an American. I'm proud of the red, white, and blue. I'm thankful to be an American. America. And then the song we're comparing it to is the musical theater song 76 Trombones uh, from Meredith Wilson's The Music Man. 76 trombones led the big parade with 110 cornets close at hand. They were followed by rows and rows of the finest virtuosos, the cream of every famous band. Okay, so there is a lot to dive in here. There is a lot to unpack. Um because I've listened to both of them. We've listened to both of them. I just want to say the melody is literally identical, literally lifted note for note from one song and put into the other. Like, but that's like not the issue that I have in here because that's just like some, yeah, I'm going to copy something. Um, But like, so the song, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm trying to wrap my head around somebody making this song 100% unironically. Like for me, this song sounds like something that Stan would sing, like at the ending of a particular, like a particularly ridiculous episode of American Dad. It, I mean, it's like so over the top. Like the song starts, like starts out by saying, "As we know, this country was founded on Christian values," and then goes on to say, "All men are free in America." And I'm just like, "Yes, all men were free in America at the time that it was founded on Christian values." Like. <laughs> Right. Clearly, that's true. Like, duh. Uh, th- yeah. I mean, that's the same patch. The pirate adventure, um, the Great American Time Machine. In in that play or or audio, however you experienced it, uh, the crew is guided through time by the Statue of Liberty uh, and these two mice to learn important lessons from American heroes like Thomas Edison and Christopher Columbus. American heroes. Dude, we did this as a play when I was in high school. Uh, I played the Statue of Liberty. So my dad spray painted me silver with that like Halloween washout hairspray. I swear. Like, so like whatever bizarro (laughs) world revision, like revisionist version of American history you were taught just seems like, I don't know. It just seems like it sets people up for both embarrassment and idolatry. I mean... I really wish I could get make a way for you to see the Great American Time Machine or hear it without having to pay for it. Oh, God. 
some of these patch adventures are, are more harmless than others. This is one of the real doozies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd probably walk out halfway through because like consuming stupid nationalistic hyper like hyper patriotic like obsessive media is a great way to make your brain leak out of your ears well back to the original question though did you think that the songs were similar i mean the olsen twins are similar but this is just like a straight copy okay i i like i don't know how this is still up on the internet because i know that like musical theater types take their intellectual property very seriously i mean all three of the songs that i referenced though they're copyrighted in the 1950s or 60s and there are a few more i could pull up that have similarities to patch the pirate songs like it's not just these like there are plenty more um most if not all of those are like moderately popular not too well known and from the 50s or 60s yeah well you know what I just thought of it. It sounds like Patch the Pirate. Maybe instead of being a ocean pirate, that's just an aesthetic where actually he's like a music pirate. Oh. So he's just like pirating people's copyrighted material and then copying it and then pretending it's his own. It's not bad. Yeah. So he is a pirate. So he is a pirate. Now, the only exception, so like mostly he follows a pattern though. It's songs that like not everybody would know. Like, I assume you hadn't heard, I mean, you might not have heard any of those three songs. I'd heard 76 trombones before. sure. Because you were a theater kid in high school. Oh, a little bit. Not really. I mean, you hung out. I'd I'd, I'd heard it. I'd heard it. You had friends who were theater kids in high school. I'd seen the music man growing up, so I I knew what it was. Yeah. But you wouldn't have known today, and you wouldn't have known uh, Big Bad John. (laughs) No, but like if you played if you played uh, the the I'm grateful to be an American, I would have been like this melody sounds really familiar. Right. I don't know where where it's from, but I'd I'd heard it before. But the pattern is he typically uses songs that are not extremely well known. There's one exception. There's a patch song that's similar to House of the Rising Sun, but that one it's much it's much more inspired by and much less stolen from. So as a musician myself, though, as a musical artist, I would be absolutely livid if somebody took something that I made and then like used it to promote extremist religious propaganda or like idiotic nationalist propaganda like this. Like, like, so, I mean, we talked about Weird Al earlier, but there is one time uh, Weird Al asked Paul McCartney if he could use uh, the song Live and Let Die to be called Chicken Pot Pie. And Paul McCartney said no because Weird Al, because Paul McCartney is a vegetarian. Oh, and yeah. He's like, okay. I don't want to promote eating meat. And then Weird Al didn't do the song because of that out of respect. Like, I mean, but like if using somebody's song to promote extremist, like religious propaganda to me, just like if if that were my song, I would be so mad. I mean, that's like, fair. You know, like, has he ever been called out for like this blatant copyright infringement? No, because remember, like, uh, these are songs that most IFB people wouldn't know. So, okay, for for example, I recognize the 76 trombones reference because my brother is also a major, 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 major musical theater fan. And he one of his favorite shows is The Music Man. So he caught that one when he was just a kid, when we did the Patch the Pirate musical at our school. 
he was like, oh, hey, no, this is this is the 76 trombone song. Hmm. Uh, the Today song and the Big Bad John song were songs that my dad knew from growing up in the 60s. So it's it's two it's two worlds that never collide because IFB people don't typically listen to that kind of worldly music. And people from outside the IFB don't hear Patch the Pirate. Like, they're never exposed to Patch the Pirate. Okay. So it's two worlds that never collide. Oh, so he's just, like, hoping that people don't catch So it's like um, – so it's it's like J-Rock from Trailer Park Boys in the episode where the other rapper found out that he was pirating his songs and putting them on his mixtape. Okay, it's exactly like that. Yeah, okay. But if you consider, like, number one, people from the outside don't hear this music. Uh, people from the inside don't hear outside music. But there's another factor to this. You're not going to get caught. Right, but there's another factor. So consider, okay, go to Big Bad John. That song was co-written by Jimmy Dean, yes, the sausage guy, and Roy Acuff. Uh, Jimmy Dean died in 2010 and Roy Acuff died in 1992. So I imagine that Jimmy Jimmy Dean's kids are busy running his breakfast sausage company. (laughs) They probably have plenty of money from the sausages. And then Roy Acuff's descendants are probably still making royalties off of his music. So even if somebody did find those airs and be like, hey, I think this niche Baptist song is a ripoff of your dad's song. Like, I don't think the airs would be that interested in pursuing it because it's not like Patch the Pirate songs make that kind of money. Yeah, but his kids might not be the ones who own the rights to that song. Like, it could be some record label that's bought and sold the catalog to another label. And so all these labels have, like, a team of lawyers whose job it is to come after people for doing stuff like this. Okay, that's fair. But, okay, so the the Hamiltons, they might have made a few millions over their lifetime of doing this kind of work. Like, from all the songs they've composed and all the radio play they've gotten and selling patch tapes and selling other CDs. Like, I am a... I'm not going to give specifics, but I did a little bit of internet sleuthing and I, it was very, very easy through public channels to find their address and a picture of their house. <laughs> um, which if, if anybody from the Hamilton family happens to be listening to this, maybe that's something you could lock down because that may not be super secure. Um, <laughs> but like, it's I'm not to find patch the pirates house. Uh, I don't know, but I found it in does about he have, two like, minutes. Does he have like the, 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 and it's not like the, the he's got like the believers or Beatlemania coming after him. <laughs> no, um, but I know I feel like I found their house on the internet. Like it's a typical suburbs. Like it, it might be a little nicer than the average IFB person, but it's not fancy house. They don't. They're not rich. Rich from this is what I'm saying. But haven't like it's but it's back pay, right? Because like if they come for all of the royalties that were never paid, then that might actually hit pretty hard. Yeah, I guess. Like, because if somebody starts really digging into them and somebody really wanted to take that, like, how many of the songs do you think are plagiarized? See, I mean, I don't know what percentage of the songs would be plagiarized, but I still, like, I don't think it would be worth the lawyer's fees to try to prove this. Because, like, remember the guy who sued, there was a Christian artist who sued Katy Perry for the hook of Dark Horse? I don't remember yeah, that. About, a, about but. a year ago, I think. Um, there was this guy, like a Christian rapper, who sued Katy Perry because the hook of Dark Horse was similar to something that he had put out. Um, 
and the 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 legal fees were just astronomical. Um, so so keeping with the example of the Big Bad John or the Ballad of Big Toe, whatever you want to call it. If the Mr. Slippy River race has sold 100,000 copies, which still, like, there are barely that many IFB households in the United States. So that's still a little bit high. But, like, okay, if it did sell 100,000 copies, there's still just one song on that album. So if the album sells for $15 and there's 15 songs on that record and the songwriting credit is 10% of the sale value of the song, that's $10,000 from that song over a lifetime. Like, I don't think $10,000 is worth the lawyer's fees. Yeah, but think like think about it like this, though, because and this is for our listeners, because Sadie already knows this stuff because we're both musicians. We know about like royalties and stuff um, is that. So if you have a song, um, the royalties for the song are split in half. So half the royalties for the song go to songwriting and half the royalties for the song go to publishing. So songwriting will be like words, music, melody. Um, if you've got a producer on the track, chances are the producer will get a songwriting too. Um, and that's how it works these days. That's not how it used to be all the time, but that's how it is now. Um, and if you, uh, use some, like if you use, like, uh, interpolate something from somebody else's song, you have to count them as a songwriter as well. Um, and that has to do with like getting samples cleared by the record label, um, you know, and chances are, like, if you haven't gotten it cleared, then a lot of times you're going to have to pay, like, all of the the songwriting to the label. Or there's going to be, like, some sort of settlement where you have to, to pay a lot of it. So, like, say, say like, 40% of his songs are plagiarized. Um, and I don't know how many of his songs are actually plagiarized. But... Eh, 40% doesn't s- sound that bad. Yeah, so say 40% of his songs are plagiarized. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Every, and so everybody he ripped off is coming back and asking for their money. And it's like, you pay me, you pay me, you pay me. Like it's so take 40% of his songs from his catalog. And I don't, I don't know how he has publishing, but like, I mean, I, and I like if he was self publishing and he kept a hundred percent of the money from publishing for himself, which is highly unlikely, especially because like he was publishing his own music after like before like 2010. Oh, uh, his family owns the publishing company. It's all published under Majesty Music. Oh, okay, 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 okay. yeah, right. Because you said, um, so say he takes a hundred percent of publishing, which is uh, unlikely, but he's got to give back a hundred percent of of songwriting on say forty percent of his songs. That's twenty percent of all of the money he's ever earned from sales and streaming, going back to like the nineteen eighties. So that's twenty percent of of uh, that income for forty years. Okay, so that actually yeah. that makes more sense, and that would be a significant amount. The thing is that that would require people from all over the place to sue him. <laughs> Yeah, and so say, but like you also said that like you were in a musical production of Patch the Pirate, right? Yeah, uh, actually, I've been in two different Patch musicals and also in a Christmas play written by Ron Hamilton, which interestingly reuses some melodies from Patch songs with different words, which is interesting. Yeah, so like say say if if you want to put on a musical, um. You've got to pay whoever owns the rights to the musical. Like if you're in high school and you're in theater, you know this, that like your theater department has to pay to get the rights to perform the show. So like he puts a song that he plagiarized in one of those 
I mean, how many times has, has his shows been licensed out? There's more like so there's more money that you're going to take from him. See, I don't think people pay for licensing when they do his plays live. Yeah, but he's sold sheet music. Oh, right. So you pay for the sheet music, but I can't find licensing information. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty sure he just lets people buy the sheet music, which includes the dialogue. And then that like license you to do the play because these are all nonprofit organizations doing these plays. And I don't think Majesty Music is a nonprofit, but I think they don't bother with yeah. actual licensing fees for the plays. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, but it doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit or if you're a school, or if you're a private playhouse, like you've got to pay. Like if you go on the internet, you can find a catalog that's got a bunch of available shows that you can do for your high school. Like it'll say it needs X number of male roles, X number of female roles, X tenor, X alto, X baritone, you know, X number of chorus members. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then like you call them up for pricing and then. I mean, yeah, like I know how licensing works, but, but this is the IFB, dude. Like they do things that are in the public domain or they do things that are by IFB composers like Ron Hamilton. Because, like, I have no idea how much licensing a musical is for a high school. Like, do you have any clue? Like, is it $500? Is it $5,000? If you know what you're, if you know how much licensing is, please tell us. I don't know. But, like, IFB, an IFB school is not going to pay for that no matter, even if it was $50, they're not going to pay it. So, like, I'm telling you, like, I don't think anybody pays to do a patch musical like i'm aware of how licensing works and that people should pay to to the the author of a musical to do a musical but that's not the way that the world works inside the ifb here's another question like is it an ifb thing to just generally not be willing to give people proper credit for the work that they've done yeah i mean it's it's like it's super common like you hear a song on christian radio and then you just like you learn it by ear and then you just perform it in church like, why do you think I'm so good at playing songs by ear that I heard on the radio? Okay, sure. But like playing song in church is, is one thing. But like, is there a mindset like when it comes to what is worthy of recognition? I mean, okay. So if it was made by someone in the IFB, that person gets recognized in the form of praise. But the idea is that you shouldn't ask for money because it's a ministry. So like you shouldn't ask for money unless it costs you money to make. Yeah, but... So- but praise doesn't put food on the table. No. But like it's your ministry. Yeah, but okay, so they I got wrote, money. They don't pay taxes. Uh yeah, but they don't have that much money. Like most IFB churches operate like barely in the black. And and the Christian schools are the same way. So like just, you yeah. don't you don't get paid for something unless it like costs you something to make. Yeah, but like Jack Scott's got a plane well, to sell that. Well, yeah, he's like the leader, dude. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's an example. I wrote a song when I was at Pensacola Christian College. And they actually, they like, so I wrote this song and then I premiered it in chapel. And it got really popular. And the college actually made me a contract, gave me proper credit on the album when the song came out. And they paid me a writing credit for album sales and for the radio airtime. So the more like liberal the fundies are, and Pensacola is not technically an IFB institution. It's a non-denominational, extremely conservative Christian institution. The the more so the more like liberal (laughs) they are, the more likely you are to get paid for like some of your work. 
I, I got the minimum standard songwriting payment, but I got an actual contract and I got actual credit and I got paid. Okay. But And you get checks in the mail from that. Yeah. Getting one soon, actually. Cool. Uh, apparently hit some kind of milestone. Not sure what it was. But the on the other hand, I still check the track list on every single album that Hiles Anderson puts out. Because there is always a chance that somebody will hear my song and either just say they wrote it or put it on their album without asking or paying. And I want to be clear, this hasn't happened yet. And I have no specific reasons or people that I could name that make me think this might happen. But the way that creative people are treated and the way that people who write things are treated at Hiles Anderson and similar ministries concerns me enough that I watch every single track of every single album that they put out just to just to watch my back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So because... I mean, and, and we've encountered, I've, I've actually personally encountered this sort of thing and it was kind of a shock to me and I don't want to call anything out or call people out specifically. So I'm going to low key subtweet some people here um, instead. Oh boy. Is this yeah. what I think so, it is? Yeah. This is what you think it is. Oh boy. So like, <laughs> but like I've definitely encountered this. Oh, you shouldn't ask for credit or recognition mindset. You should be happy that your work is doing good like that. Like, so since we've been working on the podcast, like story time, this is something that happened to us a while back. Um, When we were working on our first family of fundamentalism series, um, Sadie put a lot of effort to find original source material. Um, And she knew that there was one recording in particular that she had seen before um, that she knew existed but like it took you years to track this particular recording down, right? Right. I mean, I looked and looked and looked. I literally, I made phone calls to multiple states. Uh, I ended up finding it because I I found a business that was associated with this particular recording. Uh, and then I researched that business to find records to help me put a date on exactly what I needed. And then once I had a date, that narrowed it down enough that I was able to find the recording in the records from that business. So it was a lot of effort. And this is the sort of thing that you do regularly. Like when we're trying to do this, like we would not be able to do the show without this work that Sadie is doing. Right. When we do these more journalistic episodes, it's a lot of hours of me sitting in front of my computer and like following dead end after dead end until I finally find what I'm looking for. Yeah. Looking for records, looking for recordings and, and going through stuff that isn't properly labeled. Becoming the most important internet detective of all time. God. Yeah. So... Anyway, she finally finds it. She sends me the clip where it is on the internet. I rip the audio from it and I put it in the episode and we put the episode out. Um, Anyway, a few days passed. Um, She gets a DM on Twitter from another Twitter account um, belonging to another XIFB person that posts a lot of this sort of stuff online, like, um, but has many, 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 many more times more followers than us, like uh, a... many thousands of followers saying and, and so this account sends us a uh, uh, sends sadie um in particular a twitter dm says where did you find x clip i heard it on your podcast so being the nice and helpful person that she is she tells this guy um where to find it and says hey when you post this will you please shout out our podcast you know and 
like you were pretty excited. You're like, oh man, this could be great. This is a this is a big account. I was that, like, yeah, um, this this account is going to shout us out. Yeah, and I was like, oh well, that's great. That's that's nice. Well, it's it's good that you sent them that clip. Uh, but she specifically said, hey, will you shout out our podcast? So anyway, no, I'm still um, mad at myself for being naive like this. Oh my god, st- I mean, I'm, I'm still like just so angry at myself. Yeah. So anyway, a few year uh, a few weeks go by. Um, and this Twitter account with many thousands of followers, they post the clip that we sent them, but there is no mention of us, no mention of our podcast, no anything, no acknowledgement whatsoever. Even after Sadie said, Hey, here's the clip, please shout us out when you post it. So I go into my Twitter DMs and I send this guy a message like, Hey, Sadie was nice enough to send you the clip. Like she spent literally years looking for it. Will you at least plug our show? Like that's the least you can do. And this guy so this guy does the bare minimum of putting like of of putting uh thanks to leaving eating podcast in the reply tweet to the original. Like anybody is going to see that. Like no like if you see the clip you're going to look at the clip but you're not going to see like the the reply tweet to it. Cuz it just it's not going to show up on the timeline. Like and so like this guy, this account with tens of thousands of subscribers can't bear to be seen giving a shout out to a podcast that at the time we were getting less like like less than 200 listeners every week so like you like couldn't you just delete and repost the original video and then you know add us in the tweet like mention us in the tweet like it's common decency he didn't even say i heard this in leaving eden podcast first family fundamentalism series you should check them out it was just thanks leaving eden podcast like very yeah, like so um, yeah. so if anybody ever asks me to to share sources, uh if I come off a little prickly, this is why uh I this was why. I was I was naive because like I slipped into IFB brain for a minute and was like, "Oh yeah, uh am woman must must respond, must help whoever asks me for help, must be subservient and helpful." And like my my IFB lizard brain came back to bite both of us in a very major way. And this was like dramatic and stressful and terrible. So anyway, if you ever ask me for a source and I'm a little bit prickly at first, I'm sorry. This is why. Yeah. So like and this guy's like, why are you getting so confrontational? And then he goes on and to tell me about like how he doesn't get any recognition at all for the work that he does and how I should be so happy to get the mention that we get. And I'm just like. Thinking in my brain, like, like I wasn't raised IFB. I was raised Jewish. So I have a healthy and adequate sense of self-worth. And I can't be, like, I can't be guilted into being meek. Like, my people invented guilt. So all of this, like, oh, you should be, like, my people invented guilt. So, like, I'm immune to it at this point. You know, like, any of this stuff. So all of this, like, oh, you should be happy to get what you've got. Like, that nonsense does not slide with me. So, like, this idea, like, you should be happy that your work is doing a positive cause and, like, nobody, like, and just be happy even if nobody knows you were behind it. This idea, like, is that maybe, is that common in the IFE with, like, not just music but other kinds of labor as well? Yeah. Like, there, there's this idea that work that you do for God is worth more if it's done without pay or without thanks or without recognition. Well, if it's worth more, pay me more. Well, you don't get paid to begin with. Like, oh, and a lot of this goes back. So a lot of this is Jack Hiles because like a lot of, so he is kind of, a, he is a big part of why we see so many things in terms of value. Like what is your work worth to God? What is your work worth to your church? Like what this, he is in, he is not 
solely, but in large part responsible for the idea that your work has a value and you have a value and you have to prove your value and prove your worth. I mean, so we were taught that that work is worth more the less it's noticed. So we were taught to try to be as unobtrusive when doing good as possible so as not to be noticed at all. We would even pray not to be noticed, pray not to be thanked for our work. I am not even kidding you. This is something that I was praying as a tiny, you know, 12 or 13 years old was, yeah, dear God, please don't let anybody notice that I gave up my lunch to feed somebody else. Ugh. Literally, and like so. Oh, I, I, I have so much. And like, okay, if again, that's so toxic. Again, if you're 20, if you're an adult and you want to do that, you go on ahead with your bad self. I don't care. But like, that is not an appropriate mindset for a child. Um, so we were, we were pray, we would pray that it wouldn't be noticed because if you're recognized in any way that devalues the work that you did and it's literally less valuable to God. Yeah. I mean, this sort of thing though, that's why like you you guys remember from the second Jack Scoff episode when Sadie had that recording of from inside the, the, from like the Hiles Anderson announcement about when Jack Scoff was going to jail. Right. When they pulled us all aside on the morning that he was going to get sentenced and we're like, okay. She's got basically the only recording of that that we know of that exists. At the the time we're recording this, that's the only recording that we think exists. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you were listening to it on our podcast, like you heard that there, we had the watermark over it that was like, you are listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, basically saying that like, like the digital watermark. And we did that so that people couldn't rip it and keep and rebroadcast the clip without giving her credit and without, you know, with, without doing that because we're like, okay, well now this is something that we need to do. But like, I mean, th- this, this idea that you've got to just work and work and work with no recognition, that's so toxic. It is. And like, it's not that the concept, okay, it's not that the concept is 100% bad. Like, bear with me here. Because the, my what I'm saying is that none of us need to be running around bragging about how much we donated to this or that cause. Oh, no, that's super tacky. Like, it's fine to say, like, uh, I was privileged to be able to donate to whatever. Like, I know um, early, early on in the uh, in the whole pandemic thing, you posted about a donation that you made, but like on Instagram. Yeah, I did, but it, I, I did that because I was like, it was a thing where you're like, okay, post your donation so that other people will donate. Other people can see, kind of- like follow your example and see where to donate. And like, I, and that's fine. Like, I think yeah, that's totally also, okay. Like, but also this is the same church where they're like, oh, where you're like, highly pressured like socially pressured to donate like all the money that you can to your church like we were talking about the i gave it all weeks where you would give your whole paycheck and then proudly declare that you gave your whole paycheck so that other people would i mean okay so so like one thing that i've donated to in the recent past was juneteenth fundraisers for some of my friends yeah and i made one of those don't one of the donations that i made was public and other ones were not and so it's fine to donate things in a public way. It's fine, you know, for some of your work to be public. And it's also fine to do some things in secret that are just, you know, for yourself or for the people you're trying to help. 
it's valuable in a relationship to do work that your partner doesn't see you do. Like, uh, you know, your partner falls asleep and leaves their socks on the floor and you go pick up their socks. Or like it normally would be their turn to run the dishwasher, but, you know, they're out of the house for five minutes. So you just go ahead and do it for them. And then you can use that as ammo when you ever get into a fight. I was going to say, because for some people that's speaking their love language, but go ahead and listen to the one of us who isn't married. That's okay. That's true. Sorry. Why am I single? I wonder. Now you know. (laughs) Sorry, you started it, man. But getting this twisted into like work your ass off with no recognition, no pay and no thanks. Like that's ridiculous. Like there needs to be a balance of like. Sure, it's super healthy to do things that you don't get recognized for. It's super healthy to do good in secret. But it's not healthy to never get recognized for any of the good that you do. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've heard people talk about like emotional labor. And that could be like seen as anything from being made to be the sounding board to all of your friends' emotional instability. Or, um, But that could also be like, oh, I have a job where if you're not smiling, then... Uh, you get berated by your boss, like that type of thing. Um, and everything that Sadie tells me about that, like within the IFB, the emotional labor, especially of women, is something that is constantly taken for granted, even if it's brutal, even if it's terrible. And I guess if this idea like comes full circle when we're talking about Patch the Pirate, because he's making songs conditioning the children to be willing to like do constant mind breaking emotional labor while he benefits from like the uncredited intellectual property of other artists. And then is like, well, I'm a Christian artist. So everything that I do is good. I mean, these are the kind of people who will make fun of emotional labor as a concept, like people who will say that emotional labor doesn't exist. And if you think about it, and I'm just, I'm just throwing out a a theory, half-baked theory here, but maybe that's because emotional labor is coded as women's work. Like, just like housekeeping and child-rearing, it's coded as, like, that's something a woman does. Uh, So is emotional labor. I mean, you do most of the emotional labor for this podcast. Right. I do the, I do the editing and the, a lot of the promotion and and that sort of thing. And so. I mean, but it's not. But it's not that you ever expected me to do that because of what you perceive my gender to be. No. It's just because I'm the one who has the emotional story. Yeah, it's it's And also because you're kind of a jerk and I'm really nice. I'm not a jerk. (laughs) Messing with you. I can be. I'm just messing with you. Uh (laughs) I take offense to that. Sure you do. Yeah. Okay. Um, No, in the IFB... Even though they don't recognize it or realize it at all, I think everyone is doing constant and painful emotional labor. What else would you call the hyper-emotional pleas to give more and give more and give more to missions? Like, what else would you call the bombardment of images of starving children? Like, working on a bus route, going out soul winning? All of these things have elements of very difficult emotional labor. And I think like, so basically emotional labor, this is, and this is my half-baked theory here, but emotional labor has been coded as women's work and therefore something that isn't really work and doesn't really exist. And even IFB men are expected to do these heavy emotional labor things. Even like sitting, sitting still and engaging in a two and a half hour service. 
that might be something you could call emotional labor. So everybody's doing it. Nobody's getting recognized for it. And I think maybe that leads to this toxic environment where nobody gets recognized for any emotional labor at all. And they're also more willing to steal things from other people, other creative people. Yeah. So earlier um, at the beginning, I was joking and I brought up the children's cartoons that were made by Hamas. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that I forgot to mention was that one of these cartoons features a blatant Mickey Mouse ripoff, like literally a guy in a Mickey Mouse costume. I think he says something that Jews want to drink the blood of Arab children or something. I don't know, like general, like basic anti-Semitism, you know, run of the mill. Yeah, because there's like 10 or 12 years ago, John Stewart did a segment on it. You can look it up there. It's pretty funny. Um, But Patch the Pirate and Hamas, like you've got to admit, I mean, there's some parallels here that they're both using children's programming to radicalize children to an extremist religious and political agenda. And they're telling these children that they need to be literally willing to give their life away in service to this extremist organization. And then while they're doing it, a tool for how they're doing it, they're blatantly stealing other people's intellectual property. Wow. Yeah, so I'm not saying that Patch the Pirate is a terrorist, and I'm not saying that he's as bad as Hamas because he doesn't, like, I don't know, shoot rockets at civilians and stuff. As but far as we know, Patch the Pirate has never been responsible we, for a death. Yeah, as far as we know, Patch the Pirate's never killed anybody. No. Um, however, he does use a lot of the same tactics as Hamas right here. Um, so maybe I'm guilty of hyperbole. Maybe I'm not. Um, who knows? Uh, I think saying he's as bad as Hamas would absolutely be hyperbole. I don't think that Patch the Pirate is as bad as Hamas. <laughs> um, however, I think that I, I don't have a problem with you saying that he uses some of the same, some similar tactics. Does Patch the Pirate own an AK-47? I don't think so. No. Um, does Patch the Pirate shoot missiles at civilians? No. Don't don't think so. No. Um, Does Patch the Pirate use human shields and child soldiers? Child soldiers, yes. Like the crew is all minors on the boat. <laughs> okay. But they're you know they're not really they 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 travel around the world on the on the boat and they sing about cleaning your room. So yeah, that's not the same as as no literally giving kids guns and grenades. No, and, not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Ron Hamilton sees himself, and I think a lot of other people see him as the IFB Mr. Rogers. Um, Of course, like, this is the IFB. So nothing can ever be completely pure and happy. There's always an element of emotion control. And Patch, as a whole, is still leading children down a very specifically IFB path. But as far as IFB things go... Like I said earlier, I think the level of bad that this is, it's on the same level as Apu in The Simpsons. Like, is this problematic? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. does this, it needs needs fixing? Sure. Make some people mad. Like, probably, you know, make a lot of, a lot of listeners mad. Yeah. Okay. Fair. I, d- it's not, it's not Dave Hiles. No. <laughs> you know, this Here's isn't, question, it isn't though. abhorrent. <laughs> Here's, so are you like you're you're expecting a child in a few months? Yeah. Um, are you going to let your kid listen to are you going to have your kid listening to Patch the Pirate? I do not think <laughs> I don't think 
I can't think of any specific patch adventures that I would let my child listen to front like the whole thing, like beginning to end. There are certain patch songs that I wouldn't mind playing for them. Uh, like several of the Bible story songs are completely harmless. There's one about Daniel that's cute. There's one about Jonah that's really cute. Uh, there's also there's a song about cleaning your room and a song about being thankful for what your mom makes for dinner. And I feel like those might come in handy in the future. So what I'm getting from this is that it's okay to brainwash your kid when it's convenient. It's about being thankful for dinner. Like, I don't think Jesus is even mentioned in that song. I'm pretty sure all parents tell their kids to be thankful for what they're fed. Okay, but what if you made ambrosia? If it's made my mom's way, then uh, the kids should be thankful for it. If it's not, if it's the with the marshmallows and fluff and whatnot, uh, I wouldn't make my kid eat anything that I wouldn't eat. So, Yeah, see, that's the thing is that you could do everything right, though, and your kid might still turn out to be an ass. That's true, but I'm, I am hopeful that... <laughs> that my husband and I will be able to raise an okay kiddo. So yeah. y'all feel free to check back with me in about 19 years and we'll see how I did. Yeah, we'll see how much hair you have left. Probably <laughs> most of it, right? Yeah. I don't care if my hair turns gray. That's just going to make it easier to upkeep my colors. <laughs> I mean, if uh, if her kid does turn out to be a jerk, like Sadie will be sure to tell all of our listeners. Um, that would be the ultimate way to embarrass your child to yeah. complain about them on a podcast oh boy <laughs> no my kid is um my kid is perfect my kid will always be perfect they're going to be the best and the smartest and the cutest kid of all time i thought that only jesus was perfect are you blaspheming yeah jesus and my kid are both perfect okay. well whatever the outcome you will be you will hear it about it here on the Leaving Eden podcast. And that is all the time that we have for today. But be sure to tune in on Thursday for our homework episode in which Sadie and I will be discussing the excellent R&B Neo Soul hip hop album from, I think, 1999 was the year it came out. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And if you haven't listened to that, be sure that you do listen to that before uh the the you listen to the episode because it's it's an excellent album no matter what um and we're going to be talking about that but until next time uh this has been the leaving eden podcast and you can find us on facebook instagram twitter uh facebook and instagram it is at leaving eden podcast on twitter it is at leaving eden pod sadie do you want to plug your social yeah you can find me on instagram at sadie carpenter music or on twitter at hell yes sadie yeah, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It is at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And until next time, I hope you, that you guys have a lovely day. Bye-bye.